Welcome to the latest podcast from Aston Lark Employee Benefits. Good morning, I'm Samantha Mystery, Director of Employee Benefits here at Aston Lark. In our latest short podcast, we're going to be discussing environmental, social and governance pension funds. We're looking at the options and the opportunities that are going to arise out of these uh, funds and also consider why they've risen in popularity. Um, we're going to explain what they are and uh, what options you as a company may want to look at to consider this as an investment strategy. As an advisor at Aston Lark, we're also going to highlight some of the challenges which we are discussing currently with our clients. So to provide you with a wider view on this topic, I'm pleased to announce that we will be joined today by Lewis Daly, Investment Proposition Manager at Royal London. Morning, Lewis. Morning, how are you? Very good, thank you. And Emma Hadley, Divisional Director at Aston Lark Employee Benefits. Morning. So to kick off, Lewis, could you please explain what ESG actually is? Yeah, so, so ESG has become a bit of a, a buzzword in financial services. Um, and ultimately, we need to get back to the basics of ESG, environmental, social and governance, is really an input to a decision. So when we think about this in terms of everyday life, if I was going out buying a house, I want to know, is my house on the edge of an eroding cliff? What's the environmental risks to my decision? So in the context of investments, we want to know what's the environmental risks of that organization. Are they in a good position to transition to a lower carbon future? Do they pay their staff well? And when it comes to the governance point, what's the actual governance structure of that organization like? What's the executive remuneration? And how does this all tie together? Because what we're trying to understand here really is where's the risks, where's the opportunities to an investment decision? And it's what you do with that information that really starts to differentiate the different investment approaches that have popped up with this ESG label. How are you going about managing these risks? Or how about are you going about capitalizing on these opportunities? It's that real difference that, that really is what sets apart ESG from just being a token statement. Yeah, that's excellent. Thank you, Lewis. Because what you've set, set out there is three pillars of that investment style, which appear to be quite clear. But when we look at the terminology that surrounds um, this uh, new investment choice, um, I just wonder whether you could set out a bit clearly for us about the difference between like the ESG sustainable fund options, just so the listeners are clear. Absolutely. And, and we should probably be quite clear that this is a challenge across the whole industry. We don't have that standardization yet, that labeling system where you can refer to and say, well, this is what a sustainable fund is. This is what an ethical fund is. The positive is that it's coming, but ultimately that the challenge here and the responsibilities on the provider to explain, what do you define as a sustainable approach? What do you define as an ESG approach or responsible? And at very high levels, sustainable is about investing in things that deliver a net benefit to society. You're looking to try and, try and find a reason to pick these companies to invest. Ethical is another phrase that's often used, but ethical focuses more on reasons not to invest. What is it about that company that I want to avoid? Or what is it that might be a risk to me that I want to avoid? And responsible is a phrase which is becoming increasingly popular, 
This is more about how are you actually understanding these broad E, S and G risks and what steps are you taking to actually try and manage or mitigate them? So there's three really different, uh, different terminologies that are used. But as I said, the responsibility very much here is on trying to get the definition and the reasoning from the providers of why they've used a particular label. Mm. And Emma, from a, uh, an advisor perspective, how do you see that? So what we're seeing increasing evidence of is that businesses are adopting ESG approaches themselves. So there's increasing evidence that looking at environmental, social and, and your internal governance really does is a, is a good approach for businesses to take anyway. There's evidence that shows that it increases investment. With that, it then increases growth, it increases your productivity, it gives you higher staff retention. So it's very much a natural progression that if you are adopting that within your own business, that you then really want to understand where your scheme default fund within your workplace pension scheme is investing and is it following the similar sort of principles because if you're doing all the right things you then want to make sure that your default fund is also doing the right things now obviously depending on the type of business uh, we would typically see uh, members uh, as high as 90 to 95% of the assets in a scheme being invested in a default fund. We also sometimes see 100% of the assets being invested in that default fund. So it's really important that our corporate clients understand what that investment principles are and what is happening with those default funds. Now, it's also really important that we also keep our mind's eye on the good member outcomes as well, because there's no point having all these admirable qualities in a fund if it's not actually producing those outcomes that those members want. And I think that's really where we're going to look to next. So if, if we think about that in terms of the what are the out in the investment returns and how are member schemes, are they paying more for these opportunities? Because what you're setting out is sort of almost like a utopia, but presumably then they're paying more. Whereas ESG used to be a little bit of an outlier, it used to be quite a sort of niche investment, is now very much being embedded in most providers' default options. Now, the way that they are doing that does vary. But a recent survey um, showed that three years ago, there were five master trusts that had ESG consideration within their default fund out of 21. That has now improved to five to 19 out of 21. So you can see that this is an increasing um, aspect that providers are looking at. There is two reasons they're doing that. The first one is regulatory. There is a regulatory pressure to ensure that considerations for these are being put in place. The other pressure is also from the consumer. So the consumer is much more aware of some of these considerations, particularly from the climate change environmental aspect, and then wants to understand an awful lot more about this. So if we think about ESG principles are increasingly evidencing that this is good for businesses in the longer term, it's very, they, it follows that it's very good from an investment point of view as well. I would completely agree, uh, particularly on the different approaches that are being taken, because it is quite challenging as well, because both of them will, will look good, both of them will be quite different in what they're trying to do. But 
I think what it all comes back to is thinking, what's the purpose of a scheme default here? Because we, don't, we know this isn't just a passing fad. This is being embedded, as you said, across the board. So how is this being balanced amongst delivering strong risk-adjusted returns for members? And, and that's really what it's got to come back to as well, because for this to be successful, it has to be embedded across the board. Responsible investment, ESG embedding, this isn't just exclusive to one or two funds. This has to be new standard practice. So when we think about it in very simple terms, if you're trying to invest in a company and that company has poor environmental management in place, the remuneration structure for the board is horrific, it treats its staff terribly, is that a company which you believe will deliver long-term value creation opportunities? Probably not. So it makes sense to be embedding this in the decision-making process. And it's ultimately how you're embedding this amongst the other factors that you already consider in that traditional investment approach. And from a default perspective, this has to be in place as standard practice. There's a really good example of this, which is um, single-use plastic straws. So we think about, um, you know, single-use plastic straws, cotton buds and stirrers are now all banned in the UK. So they were banned from 2020 and they were phased out. So it's also looking at that longevity because pensions are a long-term investment. So we're looking for that much longer term, um, you know, sustainability with businesses. So, you know, depend, obviously depending on your age, but your investment will be in your pension for 40 years plus potentially. So when we look at that as an example, as a single use plastic straw, they probably had a big market share 10 years ago and now are banned. So it's looking for all those trends and they are banned purely and simply because of the impact that they had on the environment. So this is... I think one of the interesting things about that is if you look at things like chewing gum, which now has a very short shelf life because of the plastic element within it, doesn't it? Yeah. So yeah. it's constantly ensuring that your investment manager has got his thought process or her thought process on what is the next single use plastic straws business what is the one that is the risk to us now it's also important to note that this is all very much in its infancy so although everybody is starting to do the right thing it's still um you know it's still a, it's a starting point we won't be in the position where we say everything is sustainable, everything is um, got really strong ESG criteria in there and all that sort of stuff. It is a starting point. So it's important to know that some funds may well still have investments in companies where you would sit there and think, oh, I'm not sure that meets the environmentality criteria. But this is where asking questions is really important because it could be that that investment is in there currently because those investment managers are using their voting rights to influence their boards to move in the right direction. So, for example, an oil company that at the moment you might sit there and go, oh, I'm not quite sure why that fits, but potentially their investment is moving away from oil and diesel and moving into wind farms. So that's an important criteria to make the difference between. And so, Lewis, how do you apply those principles when you're looking at your funds? Yeah, so, so from our perspective, we want to look at this not just from a portfolio of where members are invested within the default, but also from a real world perspective. 
So for Royal London, our preference is very much to try and influence these companies to actually transition away from their high carbon sectors, if we just take that oil company example. So what we're trying to do is, yes, take steps to increase to the good, reduce to the bad, but ultimately we're large investors. So just removing our investment from that company doesn't make the problem go away for the world. It might tick the box for the portfolio. So what we're trying to do within the scheme default is actually influence the behavior of these companies. Try and work out what is the plan because it's not going to be solved overnight. And these companies, the BPs, the Shells, they're going to be key players in this transition, whether we like it or not. So how can you actually use your voice to influence change? And, and yes, this isn't just an indefinite conversation, which when we get to 2049 and net zero next year, we, we just then decide to take action. It's an ongoing exercise, but this all has to be about what is the plan. And that's where our default is very much in a position to actually take steps to achieve these long-term climate, climate targets and actually trying to have a material impact on the wider world. It's fascinating, isn't it? So, so I suppose if we think about that in terms of um, the member outcomes, where are, where are we sitting with member outcomes? Because I'm sure from a, a member perspective, that'd be something they want to see. Absolutely. I would say on, on the member outcome point of view, from, from our perspective, whenever we make any decisions, particularly as a mutual, we're very focused on what, what's the impact on the member, what does the member want, and how can we actually justify any decisions we make. So this view of how responsible investment or any ESG considerations fits into the investment decision-making process has to be considered amongst those priorities of members and what's the outcome they're trying to achieve. And our research last year, showed that responsible investment, corporate governance, environmental matters are really raising up the list in importance, but risk, return, and charges were the primary consideration when making any financial decisions. So it's very much a balance of how we're pushing this all together to continue the same, delivering the same member outcomes, but without compromising on the values point. So we see this not as a choice of value over values. It has to be both. Yeah. Emma? Yeah, and we're definitely saying there isn't any reduction in charges. Um, the key point I have to make is obviously we don't have particularly long-term investment um, returns to compare this to. We're not seeing any major reductions in returns on this. And obviously stressing that it's also important to ensure that we look at pensions from a longer-term perspective and not a shorter-term perspective. And we have been in uh, quite a challenging market since the start of the pandemic in, in 2020, with not only the pandemic, a US election and also Brexit. Um, so what we should start seeing with any luck is a bit of uh, business as usual. And then I'm confident that we should then see those sustainable funds or those funds with those ESG tilts in them, providing really good outcomes for members. Okay, brilliant. So I suppose what I'm hearing, though, is we do need to get advice on this. We do need to really look and research on the funds and then really consider from a business perspective what our overriding strategies are. I think the most important thing uh, to take away is to ask questions of your pension provider. Get them to evidence what they are doing from an ESG point of view. As a whole of market broker, we're then able to compare and contrast that with other approaches within the market because we have the, the wide knowledge.
And Lewis, have you got anything to add to that? I would echo Emma's comments there. Asking the questions is extremely important because this is, in the absence of regulatory guidance, it's a challenge to try and do that like-for-like -like comparison. So being open, being honest, what you're doing, this isn't a marketing ploy. It can't just be a marketing ploy. It has to be as authentic as possible. So ask the questions. And you can also be part of shaping the direction of travel. What's important to you matters to the providers. So please do ask the question. I think for being a mutual in this space, it's very much acting in the member's best interest. We don't have those conflicts or challenges of trying to please everyone. It's pleasing our members. Um, so this has a very, very close place in our heart in terms of our, our, our philosophy at Royal London. So yeah, definitely an opportunity to shape the decisions of the future. Thank you both for your time today. It's been a really interesting conversation. Um, if you'd like to know more about any of the support that's available, then you can contact me, Samantha Mystery, Director, Aston Lark Employee Benefits, uh, 0207-543-2818, or visit our website. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about Aston Lark Employee Benefits, please visit astonlark.com.